Hi, welcome to Promo Insiders, a podcast from ASI's Counselor Magazine. In this weekly series, we tackle the topics that matter most to the promotional products industry, from hard-hitting news to fun trends. I'm Sarah Lavendusky with Advantages Magazine, and today I'm joined by Elaine Sanders, a certified life coach, stress consultant, and co-founder of the Stress Experts in Manitoba, and Paul Krismer, the chief happiness officer at the Happiness Experts Company, a positive psychology and happiness consultancy in British Columbia. He's also a public speaker, author, trainer, and certified executive coach. In this episode, we'll be discussing the long-term stress of the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact it's having on our psyches. How do we acknowledge the virus's impact on our personal and professional lives in a healthy and constructive way so that we're ready to be part of the recovery? That's our topic. So Elaine and Paul, thanks for being with us today, all the way from Canada. I really appreciate it. It's a Thank pleasure you, Sarah. for having us. Thank you. So now, as we uh, have talked about, you know, this pandemic has gone on obviously much longer than anyone had anticipated way back in March. And now countries around the world are considering a second round of shutdowns as the cases rise. So what we're seeing is this long term, you know, health fears. Everybody's afraid for their own health, that of their loved ones. A lot of people are dealing with deaths in their family and friend circles because of COVID. Um, we're also seeing, obviously, economic fears because of personal finances. People are getting to the bottom of their savings with no end in sight. They don't know where else to turn. And um, people don't, also don't know what their local communities are going to look like on the other side of this. You know, a lot of companies will have been shut down. They won't be able to reopen after all of this. So what will that look like? And then we're dealing with, you know, worker burnout, confusion about uh, health guidelines. It feels like every day it changes. We're anticipating how long it'll last. And a lot of people, you know, had big plans, maybe vacation plans, but also kind of life goals that are on hold or maybe even deferred for the indefinite future because of financial reasons or, or, or another reason. Um, so with all of this happening, I think a lot of people are going to be experiencing experiencing some existential crises where it's, you know, do my life and my work still have meaning in this changed world? Do I still have value to offer? How do I pick up the pieces when things are still so uncertain? And, you know, a lot of people in our industry and promo products have built their own businesses from the ground up, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of years. And now they're seeing it, you know, really suffer because of something that's not their fault that they have no control over. So with all of this happening right now, with the health concerns, the economic fears, the burnout, the confusion, these crises, existential crises. So it's a lot of people, a lot of weight on people's shoulders. So where do we go from here? Um, so that's what I want to kind of parse out and talk about today. So Elaine, why don't we start with you from a psychologist's point of view? What is the impact of the pandemic on our psyches, and what are the types of fallout that you're already seeing in your in your practice? Yeah, for sure. So I really like the word that you're using, psyche. Um, and if you look at the definition of it. It doesn't have a lot to do with the brain. The psyche has a lot more to do with the human mind, with the spirit, with the soul, not necessarily with like our neurological programming, but with something deeper, something bigger than, than just wires and neurons. So I think the direction that, that we're looking is bigger, is deeper than, you know, than meets the eye. It's, it's bigger. Um, so I think the way that we have to approach it is by a more, um, more depth. So we can't just look at, okay, well, this, this money situation, it's, as you were kind of putting it, it's, it's deeper. It's more than that. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the fallout that, um, that I'm seeing so far 
if we're going to look at it, you know, kind of jumping in with both feet right away, um, going right deep, is separation. So we're seeing separation, people from themselves, um, that they're kind of losing their true self. They're getting lost in the details, in the things, in the situation, and they're losing connection with themselves, um, with the best version of themselves. So that's showing up as anxiety and anger, um, you know, fear. We're getting lost in lower versions of ourselves. And you can see it like when you go in the grocery store and you get this, you know, this glance because you're four feet away from someone instead of six feet away. You know, like we wouldn't, as the best versions of ourselves, we wouldn't do that. So people are losing touch with the best versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of showing up in their, um, in their daily choices. Also, we're losing, there's separation not only with ourselves, but there's separation among people. So kind of that interrelationships, there's separation. And that's showing up, you know, kind of as I said, that it's like us versus them. You know, like we can see like two distinct groups. Um, we sort of have anxious people and we have angry people. Mm. And both of them are afraid. The way I see it is that anxious people, they're afraid of dying. Angry people are afraid of not living. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And they're, they're kind of, you know, an us versus them is happening. And then the final level of separation is us being separated, you know, or the individual feeling separate from something bigger, something, you know, more cosmic, more spiritual. And that's coming out as like, why is this happening to me? You know, kind of that victim, victim consciousness. Mm -hmm. So it's lots of separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you know, in, in the United States, I mean, both of you are in Canada, but as you probably know, in the United States, especially, it's been it's been uh, a very hostile. I would say uh, the discourse right now has been very hostile, and it's it's an election year, and there's a lot of um, a lot of controversy about how they're dealing with the pandemic, and so, and you re- like you said, there is a really like um, there is an us versus them. Uh, toned in the discourse right now, and I, I, I have to wonder, you know, would would the discourse be as hostile towards each other if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic? I don't know. I think that's really worsened things, um, and really, um, it's kind of put things in a very raw. Um, uh, things are put in a very raw manner because that of that fear that you that you talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah so, and thank you for that. And so. Um, Paul, what would you say is um, what you're seeing from, again, a psychologist's point of view, the impact on our psyches and also the, um, the types of fallout that we're, we're experiencing on a daily basis? Well, I love the way that you framed the conversation today, Sarah, because I think you, you described a lot of what's going on in society. And I like Elaine's choice of words about it being spiritual. It goes beyond our intellect. It goes into something that's deeply within us. And some people may not always be comfortable with that word spiritual, but let's just see it as something that's much more than my rational ability to cope with my things to do today. And um, in our society, we have an emotional context. And there's an emotional context in our families, there's emotional context in our friendships, and there's emotional context to our work. And globally, we have a prevailing emotional context like we've never, ever had before. The globe is united in its anxiety and uncertainty about the current circumstances. And I think it is, just to your point, Sarah, that it's even more profound and problematic 
in the United States than most other places I'm observing. And that's because this there's this emotional context that's already, for very reasonable, uh, uh, rational reasons, uh, frightening. There's, a, there's a, a disease on a rampage that's taking people's lives. But on top of that, there's this polarization in the politics and this hostility in the politics. And we're imminently getting to the culmination of that in an election, which people aren't even really confident there'll be a clear outcome. And so add all these things together and um, people are at their very, at their most limited selves in terms of their capacity to, to cope. And even prior to the pandemic, we had a, we had a, a epidemic of loneliness in North America, in most of the Western world. And people are literally more and more isolated. It, it's, it's, it's literally isolated that people are working from home or keeping the physical distance and not trusting the person who's coming too close. And then there's also kind of, as, to use that language again, the spiritual loneliness too, that says, I'm not even comfortable with myself. I don't know what, what my role is tomorrow and, and what's my, how is things gonna work out for my mom or my dad or the people I love that may be vulnerable. And so we've got these profound multiple levels of loneliness and isolation that was already problematic. So it is a, indeed a very, very difficult time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well said as well. Thank you for that. Yes. So, um, so to continue with this, Paul, let's continue with you. How do you, to that, to that end, you know, how do you counsel people to see beyond this current situation to the value that they still have and, and, and coming back to that connection with their deepest selves and the value they can still bring to the table. You know, and, and we've talked before, we talked in an article last year about, about happiness in the workplace. And this was way before COVID. Yes. And so how can we choose happiness and gratitude and maintain it in the midst of all of this? Well, I love the question. Thank you for it. Um, and I do a lot of my work with organizations. So I do work one-on-one -on -one with individuals, but a lot of what I'm doing is with larger uh, businesses. And what we really know from the experience in businesses is that people are feeling that isolation, that when they're connecting like we are today on Zoom or electronically, um, there's a certain amount of the, the um, emotional connection that goes lacking. And we don't even fully understand what that is. It may be a function of pheromones that we're actually not smelling each other and not trusting each other the same as we would if we were in person. So there's some profound, very, um, very animalistic qualities to this that make our situation worse still. And then also people's roles are changing or disappearing altogether if your work has changed or if you've lost your work. And so people are looking, which is our natural instinct, outside of ourselves to find our meaning and place in society. And when society is filled with uncertainty, um, we all the more so need to look internal to ourselves. It needs to be an intrinsically uh, determined way of seeing ourselves to find our value and, and our meaning right now. And in the positive psychology literature, there's basically two ways to do that. One is look to our strengths. What am I really good at? What do I have fun doing? Which is usually a good indication of what I'm good at. Where do I get into the, to the zone or feel a state of being in flow? And those activities that get me into those states of flow are usually indications of where my strengths are. And so no matter where I am, whether I'm still working in my organization in the same role I had before, my roles changed or my job has changed or been lost altogether, people need to look to their, their major strengths and invest in that, spend more time working in those areas of strengths so that intrinsically we feel okay about ourselves and then we can apply those strengths to add value external to ourselves. And I know I'm going on a little bit at length, but I'll talk briefly about values too. Sure. 
Um, when society gives us all kinds of conditioning about how we should feel valuable, you know, and uh, for men in particular, but it's more and more true for women, it's what we do for a living that says that well, what we worth we have as a human being. And women have an addition to that nowadays, this whole bunch of nurturing roles, how good of a um, wife, mother, daughter am I? And so there's these complicated, externally conditioned social requirements from us. And if we actually investigate our own most important values for ourselves, not by what society tells us, but what's really important to me. Um, and so, you know, one of my um, top values, and I'm not suggesting it should be anybody else's, is, is good health. And when I'm really clear about that value, then I can wake up in the day and say, there's certain aspects of my day that are going to be driven towards that value. Um, so I go out and get some exercise, I eat well, and I'm living then in my values. And if people understand concretely what their top values are, then they can get up in the morning and know what they need to do in order to feel whole, in order to feel like they have meaning and purpose in their lives and has nothing to do with what's going on outside of them, has everything to do with what's internal to them in their spirit. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wonderful, yeah, well said. And yes, and um, um, Elaine, you know, counseling people again beyond this current situation and uh, to, to their value, right? Focusing on that. And, and I know you're, you're um, the newsletter that you send every week, I still get it because I, uh, I interviewed Elaine for a stress in the workplace uh, article last year about when we did some nightmare nightmare sales scenarios for our distributors and so we did a sidebar with elaine about you know really like very concrete coping with stress tips and so i get the newsletter from you and like every week it's like just what i need to hear but i know one of the things that is very important to you um is you know helping with maintaining happiness and gratitude um despite everything swirling around us as, as paul just talked about so can you speak to that as well yeah, absolutely. And I think um, what I often tell my clients in when I help them transform stressful emotions to more positive renewing emotions is that happiness is not the only positive emotion. That sometimes we need almost like stepping stones on our way there. So reaching for happiness first and foremost, you know, as you, as I love how you put it in the midst of this storm. It might be too much of a reach for someone. Hmm. Um, so for my clients, I kind of help them find like, what's, what's the one that you can reach for right now? Maybe it's just peace in this moment, right? Instead of taking two bigs, too big of bites of your day, hmm. what emotion can you experience in this, in this moment? Perhaps it's contentment or peace or ease, you know, something like going with the flow. Or maybe it's just self-compassion, right? Maybe you're just sitting there hunkering this storm out and the, the best emotion that you can experience right now is self-compassion. You know, just letting yourself um, experience the storm and being gracious on yourself. And then that is, you know, one of the, the stepping stones, if you will, to happiness. If I could, I'm going to jump in because Elaine's put her finger on something that really from the positive psychology literature is very, very um, impactful and, and congruent with what you just said. Happiness is sometimes this umbrella term, but we perceive it often as this ear to ear grin. And oh my goodness, if I'm not happy, there's something wrong in my life. And, and that's a lot of pressure, right? It's who can be that all the time. 
so there's one particular positive psychologist, a woman named Barbara Fredrickson, that I quite like her definition of happiness. And she said it's any one of 10 emotions. And I'll probably not remember all 10, but the first one is joy, which is that kind of intrinsic grinning from ear to ear piece. But the next one is um, gratitude. When I just feel like oh, something is okay in my life. And then there's um, serenity, peace, as Elaine just referred mm. to. And there's pride, right? I just feel, okay, I did that well. Or my, my, someone I care about did something well. There's interest, which is one that for a lot of us is easy to plug into. It's just if I'm reading a good book or watching something on TV or having a good conversation even, I can have, feel my curiosity peaked and it's, it's a very good positive emotion. There's amusement, you know, when somebody tells a joke, there's inspiration when I want to do something. There's even something that they call awe. And awe is this one that defies words mostly, but it's usually something we see in nature or, or an amazing feat by somebody in um, sport or art. And mm -hmm. so all, any one of those emotions, and love would be another great one, any one of those emotions is in fact a positive emotion that we can mm -hmm. call a source of happiness. And if your happiness right now these days isn't looking like grinning ear to ear, I want your listeners, Sarah, to know that there may be other ways for them to feel good but it'll look different than quote unquote happiness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Elaine, you've talked about deliberately choosing um, happiness and gratitude. And I know that's a big focus of yours too, but deliberately choosing, you're saying deliberately choosing, it doesn't always like, like Paul just said, it's not always a big smile and it's either that or nothing, right? So that deliberate choosing, what's kind of the process for learning how to do that too? Right. Great question. Um, I would say that the first step would be to recognize the difference between your situation and your emotional response to the situation. Yeah. And it's creating a distinction there in something that I call um, emotional um, independence, that you want to be emotionally independent from your situation so that your situation can happen, but you get to choose your emotional response to it. So it's recognizing that people, circumstances, um, you know, this global situation can't reach inside you and make you feel anything. You get the ultimate, the final decision on how you want to feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from there, it's then becoming emotionally literate so that you're more familiar with, okay, well, what am I feeling now? And what are some other emotions that I can feel? Um, so the process that I kind of walk clients through looks like explaining four different types of emotion. So we don't really go into what name you give it doesn't really matter so much as what area that emotion is in. If it's, you know, renewing or if it's depleting, you know, positive or negative, um, if it's high energy or low energy. And then just knowing sort of which of the four you're experiencing right now is enough. Because what word I give to an emotion is going to be different than the next person. Mm -hmm. So it's then learning how to reach for an appropriate emotion. You know, like what we've just been discussing that it's not, you know, the ear to ear grin as, as Paul described it. But right now, the emotions that I find that I'm focusing on with clients are the self-compassion, the forgiveness, the grace that we can give to other people, kind of that, um, the latitude that we can give people a bit of a longer rope. Mm -hmm. um, compassion for others, kind of appreciating that others have their own truth, their own, their own stuff going on. Um, yeah, and it's very much going back to that 
self-compassion because self-compassion is a positive emotion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And right now that's kind of the, the first stepping stone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're talking here mostly to, like we had said, mostly to an American audience and the United States is built on, you know, our culture is one of productivity activity. We're very defined by our jobs, our value as it is in our, the way we make our living. That's, you know, and I don't know, I can't really speak to that about Canada, but I can definitely speak to that as uh, an American. That's how we are wired. That's just yeah. how we're wired. And so, you know, this has been very devastating. I think it's it's been very, um, the, the fear and anxiety about not kind of having that path forward for productivity and, and going to work every day and, and making money and, and building your, you know, uh, the, your life for your family, which are all good things, but we are so defined by that. And so kind of like you had said, giving yourself that grace and that compassion and that understanding for others is really going to be, I think, kind of that life buoy that we're going to have to really grab onto right now, even though it's so foreign to us. Um, you know, that's really going to be how we're going to get through this. Um, I have to agree. Everyone who's flown on an airplane hears that um, safety message that says, put your own mask on first before you put it on somebody else. And that's where we are. And in the American culture, it's always just a little bit more extreme and excited than Canada, but there's pluses and minuses to that. And right now, that's what people are needing to do to Elaine's point where this idea of self-compassion, it's self-care. How do I take care of me first, not in a selfish way, in a way that makes me well enough to be able to contribute to whomever I need to be able to take care of? But first, we have to take care of ourselves. And there's no really basic ways. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. Um, one of the profound ways that we take care of ourselves is getting some exercise. And there's a, some great research being done on something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And it's a hormone that comes into our bodies primarily from exercise more than other things. And we've discovered it's the best protector of the brain, that when we're depressed or anxious, we actually see atrophy in some parts of the brain. And this BDNF is all about growing the brain and protecting us from uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. But in addition, it enhances learning, it enhances our mood. And we all knew before that exercise was good for us, but the mental health benefits from it are profound. And so we there's lots of other more thoughtful and gentle ways we might wanna com- um, practice self-care, but really basic ones too, like just get out and go for a walk. If you're feeling like nothing else is gonna work for you today, Find 20 minutes outside in the fresh air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, um, uh, that goes in my next question for both of you, which is, you know, these kind of practical habits that we can put into our day. Like, what does this look like? You know, this really, um, uh, this deliberate choice of, of, of gratitude and kind of that emotional intelligence and separating ourselves, giving us that space, that grace to, um, to, for self-care, especially so that we're the best version of ourselves in the midst of all this, but what daily habits can we put into practice to shift our thinking, you know, and also kind of acknowledging, um, the ways that we're feeling and not ascribing guilt or shame to those emotions, but kind of like you had said, you know, a a real like emotional intelligence and that, that, uh, distance between them, the separation that we need, that healthy separation. But what are some, like, like you said, exercise, getting out there, getting some physical activity, what are, um, uh, additional like daily habits? we can put into uh, our routine so that we can make sure that we're deliberately choosing these things. Oh, let's go to, um, let's, sorry, let's go to Paul. Let's continue with you. Well, let me start with one that's, that um, maybe backs us up a little bit to something that you said. And how do we first just simply be okay with how we are? 
And, and again, we sometimes feel this pressure to be something different than we are. And, and in North America and Western society, we tend to want to run away from our negative emotions. We're sort of not allowed to have negative emotions. Mm-hmm. And the first thing to do is acknowledge that I've got them. Uh, and there's, there's an interesting old Buddhist story about, you know, inviting your negative emotions for tea. And so if you're feeling sad, rather than like looking for the Lay's potato chips or the TV or whatever distraction to get away from my sadness, invite sadness in and say, hey, sadness, what have you got to tell me? And, and love sadness. Oh, you're part of me. I really understand that there's parts of you that are hurting. Tell me about it. And when we become aware of our negative emotions, in, the, in mindfulness circles, we talk about that as self-liberating, that you kind of see this emotion arise and it's almost like a soap bubble. And all you have to do is go, oh, I see you. You pop it in and it liberates. And it won't disappear altogether. The bubbles will come back. But by first appreciating that I'm angry, sad, worried, whatever those negative emotions are, well, we can then try to get to some other emotional state. But if I'm busy denying what's real, uh, it's just going to keep haunting me and chase me down until I recognize it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well said. Yes, and, and Elaine, for you too, you know, what are some of these um, uh, daily habits and decisions we can make for ourselves um, to extend the grace? And like you said, be, be, try to be better versions of ourselves during this difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. I think a big part of it is living from the heart, is being a more heartfelt individual. And that's where you're going to find, as Paul mentioned, that intrinsic value, um, that you're not looking for outside things to you know, affirm who you are. You are living from the heart. It's not you know, a mental calculation of how can I get ahead or how can I you know, find comfort in this. It's how is this situation asking me to grow right now? You know, what, what character trait or virtue can I exercise right now in this moment? You know, this line that is crawling, you know, this mile long line that's crawling forward. What virtue is it, is it trying to pull out of me? You know, is it patience? Um, you know, any situation that we're going through, it's either going to make us bitter or it's going to make us better. And the choice is ours. And the choice that we make has big ramifications on you know, the world around us. So there's more value for each of us is that we are playing a role in this big picture, that we're, we're one of the pieces in the puzzle. So if we're a positive piece, you know, if we can just smile through our mask, you know, if we can show our, the crinkle in the corner of our eyes to the clerk who just got, you know, kind of reamed out, we can change someone's life. You know, so we do have a big, uh, a big, role to play in this big game that's going on and that we can just moment by moment you know how is this moment asking me to grow how is this situation asking me to grow what character trait or virtue can i exercise in this moment you know it's like going to the gym like it's a heavy weight right now it is heavy but can we can we rise to the challenge and grow wonderful Well said. Well, thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Paul, for joining us today. Very valuable discussion. And for all our coronavirus coverage from the editorial team at ASI, please visit asicentral.com slash news. Thanks for listening.